This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to the Check-In Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Check-In. Before we get started today, I want to thank everyone who has listened to the last few episodes of the podcast. I've gotten a ton of messages and, and a lot of emails from so many travel industry people who have listened, and, and I just want to say I truly appreciate all the kind words. Um, I heard someone describe 2020 as the year of the social recession, and I think that's probably a great way to put it. The conversations that I've been fortunate enough to have on this podcast with so many people around the industry and so many of you have really been a medicine that has helped me fully come out of that kind of recession. And I hope in some small way they can do that for you too. For this episode, my guest is Chris Austin, the current chief sales officer for Explorer Journeys, the new luxury cruise brand from the MSC Group. I first met Chris when he was at Seaborn as senior vice president of global sales and marketing a few years ago, and I thought about him a lot in the early stages of COVID. He was one of the last industry people I had a face-to-face conversation with prior to the pandemic really taking hold here in New York. Um, He was the speaker at an event in Midtown, and I was lucky enough to bump into him and sit with him for a couple of minutes in the hotel lobby prior to him taking the stage. It was just a couple of minutes, but it it was a time that I revisited in my head quite a lot during April and May 2020, simply because... It was the last of those pre-COVID conversations, the last conversation I had prior to the world being turned upside down. Chris has always stood out in my mind, not only because of his success in the industry, his career spans more than 30 years across multiple suppliers, two continents, three states, and a lot more, but because he's how he's been able to achieve that success, including being incredibly well-dressed along the way and taking incredibly incredible care of his personal relationships. We talk about those things during this episode and touch upon his recent move from Seattle to Miami and his youth growing up in a fairly rural part of England. To me, he's a great example of what the tr- of what travel can do for people who have made careers inside the industry, and he's a great example of the kind of people that the industry attracts, which is the main reason I think why so many people should be so incredibly excited about the future that the travel industry is continuously building for itself and its employees. I really enjoyed the conversation and I very much hope you do too. So let's check in with Chris. Hi, how are you? Good, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. How are you doing? Good, how are are you? How's, uh, you're in Miami now, right? Yes, indeed, indeed. So when you're coming down here at some point, we'll have to catch a drink or dinner or lunch or something. Yeah, back in back in Miami, fully settled now in our in our home. So uh, all good, all good. And you were in Seattle before that when you were uh, over the past few years, right? Yes, four years in Seattle. So um, my life in North America has taken me from New York to Miami to Seattle and back to Miami. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, that's, it doesn't seem like you could have a bigger move, like in, in comparison of how different two cities are in the U.S., in the continental U.S. at least, than, uh, that than is Seattle so true. to Miami. Yeah, Daniel, that, that is so true. I mean, people, <laughs> when, when I moved from Miami to Seattle, people were saying, why are you doing this? Because it isn't, <laughs> isn't the two places completely opposite. And I go, yeah, well, but the, the job opportunity is, you know, sort of too good to turn down. And actually, Seattle and the Pacific Northwest is a beautiful part of the United States. I then paraphrase that by saying for three months of the year. <laughs> so, you know, I left England for a reason. 
And, you know, it, it's now, it's June, July, August, when the Pacific Northwest is stunning and the sun shines, it's, it's actually pretty hot. The lakes are wonderful, you know, the trails are walking, the scenery. But then the other nine months of the year, I mean, basically it does rain and it gets a little monotonous, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there's a good culinary scene, you know. Um, people are very friendly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of affluency there. It's just very understated sort of uh, you know with people but anyway we had a great time but you know always loved Miami and happy to be back actually yeah I'm I'm very anxious to, I was I, I haven't been down in Miami since maybe 2019 all those conferences in 2019 so I'm very anxious to get down there and I mean no, you must Florida you'll see a difference I mean my goodness you know we uh, we came back you know the first year we came back six times and then I think uh, uh, second third fourth year you know, we came back a few times to see friends. And we, of course, as you just said, you know, you come back because Miami is a pretty popular place for meetings. And, uh, you know, there's some excellent partners uh, down here, travel partners, etc. But my goodness, you know, how things continue to change. If you take a four-year window and sort of think what was, you know, we're living in Sunny Isles Beach and you think, well, that wasn't there four years ago. And now there's like a 60-story building, you know, it's just incredible, really. The city continues to grow. Yeah, so I mean, what, just, I don't want to stay on the subject for too much longer, but what what do you what would you miss about Seattle? I mean, I know you've been to Miami before, and I mean, four years in Seattle is, is like a college degree in Seattle. I mean, what are you gonna? <laughs> yes, I graduated. And exactly. Then I ran away. What are you gonna miss the most about Seattle? <laughs> I was a typical student, you know, <laughs> unless, unless you were working for Microsoft or uh, Google or and Boeing's up there too, right? Boeing, exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, you know, I mean, you always miss people, don't you? You miss, you miss friendships that you make. And um, it's definitely harder at uh, my mature age to meet lots and lots of people. But we did have some excellent friends and some great neighbors. And so you always miss, miss, miss that. And, you know, then I think, the, as I say, the beauty of the summer, I mean, it is absolutely spectacular. It really, really is stunning. But sadly, it's just not long enough. And that's the challenge. If you had, I mean, the reason you put up with Miami summers is because you have a balance. I mean, it's a six months and it's a six months. People always say, if you live in Miami, well, don't you miss the seasons? Well, you know, you potentially could, but then when it's snowing in Chicago, you know, it's 80 degrees or 75 degrees here, no humidity in the winter. It's a balance. And I think because the winter here is a pretty decent time of great weather, you put up with the longer time of not so good weather but then you change your behavior you eat indoors you welcome air conditioning etc and i think that's the challenge with to me at least with the pacific northwest it was the summer just wasn't long enough and so then when it disappeared it was like labor day came and suddenly the weather gods took the weather away and you're like oh yeah yeah we're not we're not we're not ready yet you know yeah <laughs> it's like can't we keep going out on the on our neighbor's <laughs> boat and keep having fun on the lake and etc barbecuing <laughs> i mean i'll tell you i understand that completely because even in I, I love the seasons too but in new york it seems completely unpredictable now how many weeks of fall we're going to get and how many weeks of spring we're going to get it just seems to it just seems to be a process of moving between brutal winters and then scorching hot summers at each and every year and like maybe it's because i'm getting older i'm not really appreciating like the the fall because there's no school starting but no, uh, it seems completely unpredictable now up here yeah i mean we do appreciate different things as we as we i like to say get mature 
sounds better than getting older, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that could mean maturing, could mean getting more intelligent, you know, and stuff like that as well. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, we had, I mean, the winter here, we arrived back at the age just before, the week before Thanksgiving. You know, you should expect great weather in December, January, February, March. But around end of March, coming into April, traditionally you should start to feel humidity building. And I'll be honest, you know, we went through all of April, all of May, with basically no humidity here. And I, you know, I kept saying to Alex, my husband, when's the humidity going to come? This is bizarre, but it's fabulous, you know? And I was like, if this is, a, if this is global warming in effect, well, certain parts of the world benefit and certain parts don't. But who knows? Next, next winter could be completely different. I mean, this week, Dan, it's miserable. I mean, it is just gray skies and, you know, torrential rain in the afternoon. Yeah. But we're, un we're under a low. And of course, you know, maybe next week it'll be beautiful again. But anyway, yeah, I look forward to seeing you when you come down and we can enjoy a new hot spot that's opened or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned England. You said you left England for a reason. And I knew always you were clearly I always knew you were from England, but I, I, I never knew what part of England you were from. So it was great question. Yeah, I always show my hand at this point. I show my hand <laughs> and I go into the middle. So you can see this, obviously, but um, I was from the heart of England. That's why I used the hand and point to the middle, the heart of England, Shakespeare country. So I was born in Warwickshire in a town called Royal Leamington Spa. You know, it's Queen Victoria that dubbed certain towns royal because of their spas. And I was born there, and, but then grew up in a town called Kenilworth, which had a, uh, a stunning ruin of a castle. Uh, I used to love history, and I always, you know, we went and walked around the castle a lot, but it was, um, it was a ruin because Oliver Cromwell uh, decided to just destroy a number of castles to show his might, not because he was fighting any particular battles, he would just destroy them to sort of pump his chest and show you know, his adversaries how strong he was type of thing. But anyway, beautiful rural you know, town that's probably now more of a maybe a small city as everything grows up. But, you know, it was a great part of England to live in, close, very close to Stratford-upon-Avon. So um, I always draw reference to that, you know, when people say, oh, I don't know where, you know, Leamington or Kenilworth is. I said, ah, you probably heard of, you know, Stratford, Stratford-upon-Avon, Will Shakespeare. They go, yes, of course I have. I said, well, you know, that's the whole part of England where I grew up. But I went to university down, down in uh, Bournemouth, actually. Um, Bournemouth University and, and I studied a Bachelor of Science uh, degree in hospitality management and I, I have Bournemouth's, to... Bournemouth's on the south coast is that yeah. correct it's yeah yeah so it's about an hour and 20 minutes away from London unless the sun is shining and it's 80 degrees in the UK and then that drive can take you four hours because okay. basically halfway down you, you hit a traffic jam because everybody's going to the south to the, and they're beautiful beaches I mean it's it's golden sand, you know, like Brighton, which is the closest resort area to London, is all pebbles, it's all stony beaches. But Bournemouth, uh, Dorset, Hampshire, it's all really golden sand. And it's a, it's a you know, it, it's a beautiful place when the, when the sun is out again. Yeah, I saw, it was interesting. I saw some photos from the, uh, the G7, I know the G7's happening in, in England this week and they were on the, all the diplomats, they were, they were on a beach and it, you, it looks like, it looked like almost like a tropical place. And I think yes. England gets this reputation for being this sort of dreary place. And of course it is, but there's also, there's also sort of gems on the coast oh, and things like that. Definitely. When the sun shines, the gems really shine yeah. and, and, you know, England, a little bit like the Pacific Northwest, but in fact, very, very similar. 
you know, if, if England could only have more Sundays, um, in fact, one of the reasons I'll tell you, one of the reasons I chose Bournemouth, because I could have gone to Strathclyde University, which is actually Glasgow, Scotland. I could have gone to Surrey University, which is close to London and obviously the county of Surrey, or I could have you know, gone to Bournemouth University. And I chose Bournemouth because I thought, well, you know, Glasgow doesn't have any beaches. Surrey is landlocked as well and doesn't have any beaches, but Bournemouth does. So I could actually do some revision on the beach, perfecting my tan, you know, and that really was the driver. I actually also realized <laughs> there was a little bit of me that said, you know what, why not study hospitality in a city that is driven by hospitality? So, you know, in the summer months from Easter to October, really, Bournemouth and that part of the coastline is an incredibly popular domestic holiday destination you know whether people are driving caravans um which is what the british call you know motor vehicle homes sort of thing or whether they're staying in bed and breakfast or they're staying in you know anything from two to five star hotels there's a lot of demand and it really is i mean with the sun shines you really get a, a true vacation feel and um there's a true vibe and that's why i said you know what i'm going to study hospitality i might as well be in a location yeah. where it's sort of all all around, you know. I imagine Miami has a similar feel, almost uh, yeah. that there is there is there's a lot of people going flocking to Miami for specific reasons that are like in the hospitality sector, in the tourism sector, things like that. Oh, completely. There's, there is a sense of reward, I think, living in in a you know destination such as Miami or any destination where people do have a motivation and a desire to travel for their own personal free time you know free time is one of the most valued things we all we all cherish it's a luxury actually and how you utilize that free time truthfully i think is as a luxury and it's very personal you know and you meet with friends you meet with loved ones etc so i think the, the the reward i get of being able to live in a in a destination location which is where others wish to come to, yeah. I think is, is great. And, you know, it keeps me connected with uh, uh, quite a few of my British friends because uh, they're always like saying, uh, can I come and visit? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you can come. And then I say, for how long? And they're like, well, two weeks. And I'm like, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you understand why people want to come through. And then, of course, for, for me, um, Miami is, uh, it's great to be here, um, because it is the global capital of the, the, uh, I like to call it, you know, me, you know, me, Dan, you know, I like to call it the ocean resort industry, not, uh, not the C word. Um, so, uh, <laughs> well, I, I think this is the first time I've spoken to you since, uh, you have, you were appointed to the new position. So a belated congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah, and you seem very excited about about the new challenge, and you seem like, of course, like you fit great in Miami too. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. But it seems you seem very uh, like full of energy, like speaking to you right now when you're you're sort of heading up this new position. And yeah, I Thank mean, you. I want to ask, what is it like to to get the news and to join a project like this that sort of hasn't hasn't been developed yet that you're part of a team that's going to create something that's completely brand new i mean what what is that like you know i don't know it's, it's incredibly exciting um this was an opportunity i simply could not turn down you know i was incredibly happy 
with my former brand and I wish my former brand and in fact every um, every cruise brand there I said the word every cruise brand I wish them true 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 success it's a small industry um, you know the industry only carries 30 million guests the potential though is huge we should be carrying 130 million guests you know um, and unfortunately you know it has taken a, a hard hit hasn't it I mean you know, terrible during the, the global pandemic. Um, but when I got the call um, to have a conversation, uh, would I be interested? I was like, too, too, too right, am I interested? Because in my uh, belief, you know, brand creation is the most exciting thing you can ever do. And when I was with Starwood Hotels and Resorts, you know, we, I, I had the opportunity to actually be part of teams that again created brands. You know, Starwood was perhaps the best uh, custodian of brands in the world, creating brands and then differentiating them and, you know, looking after them, nurturing them and bringing them from one single hotel or resort to a, to a true global brand. And the, you know, the excitement around creating W or growing St. Regis from one hotel in New York to a global brand even three-star brands like Aloft, which was, you know, you sit down and you're part of a team and you basically have the back of a piece of paper and you start saying, so what do we do that's differentiating, that can be global, that can be appreciated, that is needed, there's a gap in the market, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, obviously when I got the call, that tapped into all of that. And I think to be part of that founding team, I think I was the ninth person actually to be, hired for the luxury division. It's just really incredible. And even to this day, Dan, you know, I love to tell our travel advisors, I mean, we have the art of listening. I've always had the art of listening and the art of knowledge exchange. And I think the journey we're on is together. You know, I mean, if you were to say, well, Chris, you know, you really should do this because I think it would differentiate. I would listen. We take that knowledge, we take it back and we actually say, are we doing that already? Or should we be doing that if the answer is no to that? And I think that's how you build a brand together. I think it's a journey for everybody. And then therefore people become part of the experience and they, 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 they're, they're more vested then to it. And, and you build a community that way. So we still have wedding. Uh, you know, that's, that's uh, one of my expressions. When I joined, there was a lot of blank pieces of paper. Yeah. And so it's fun. I mean, it was, it's been so joyful in the sense of saying, okay, so Chris, you know, team, today we're going to look about what are we going to do for travel advisors? And you sit down and the piece of paper's blank and say, well, you know, and you draw on all of your prior experience. What have you heard in the past? What have they told you are their pain points? Do you want to remove those pain points? You know, if yes, it drives you in a certain direction. So again, that art of listening, pulling it for years and years and years, I think is then, you know, makes it truly exciting about new brand development. And to me, that's about that. That really is where the fun is. You know, I mean, we can all build great hardware, but it's the software. It's how we treat people, how we treat our business partners, our travel advisors globally, how we treat guests. Why would they want to come back? You know, why would travel advisors want to make another booking with us after making the first booking? That's the real you know, fun. I will say though, <clears throat> you know, the, the hardware is absolutely stunning as, uh, as revealed very recently uh, with, the, with the brand reveal. So yeah, it's, it's ticked all boxes and um, 
I am, I am, I am very happy, and I think I've always been fully vested to every brand. You have to believe in the brand you work in, mm-hmm. and um, yes, it's easy to believe in this brand actually, and and what the Ponte family and Mr. Vargo, uh, our executive uh, chairman, what what their vision is and their passion and the energy that they have is contagious. Um, we we all feel it and we embrace it, and uh, it drives us forward. Yeah, and it's funny though. Though you mentioned the other people on the MSC team, and I know the MSC Cruise team is is a big team at this point, and it's under a bigger umbrella with the MSC Group. Yeah. Um, but when I heard the news you were joining the team, I've met Ken and Roberto and Richard and Johnny. I've spent some time with them on some inaugurals, and they've all just been so incredibly well put together and well dressed. And I saw the news that you were heading there, and I just couldn't. But like, it, like the team just gets more well dressed. And it, <laughs> Thank it, for you. some reason, that stuck out of my head because I mean that seems to be something that's important. You, I've heard you speak about that at conferences. Uh, sort of making sure you're well put together and and the value of being well dressed and like a good suit. well yeah. you know thank you thank you Dan you know i mean we we represent the brands we are the brand and we're the first you know in global sales yes and global marketing you are the first impression that a travel advisor will have maybe maybe one of their clients will have actually of the of the brand i have my work cut out for me now though because you know i work with a lot of uh, Europeans, Swiss, and Italians—they are impeccably, impeccably dressed. So I may even have to turn up my uh, <laughs> my wardrobe a little bit. Yeah, I thought about you also because that—I don't for some reason that always stuck in my head, and that was advice I was given or advice I saw online when all these pandemic stimulus payments were going out. And there was all these articles about where you should put that money, like what you should, how you should invest it, and like cryptocurrency, all that kind of world and then i saw an article this is like the best thing you can do with this if, if you're a young professional just go out and buy a good suit because that'll take you a lot farther than any cryptocurrency or any you know penny stock well take you. my father dan my father told me as a as a young man and he was a military guy he'd been in the in the royal air force for quite a long time and then and then he uh he obviously left and became an architect uh, but he he said to me as quite a young a young boy he said, always remember a couple of things, uh, my son, he'd say, he'd say um, you know, yeah, you can never be overdressed, but you can always be underdressed. Yes. And then in another, another popular catchphrase was him, was, of his was, the clothes maketh the man, my son. <laughs> and I think, you know, he, he loved these profound sort of statements, but they stuck with me. Yes. And um, I think, uh, I think, um, you know, it's nice to be casual, but I think business has got a little too casual, perhaps, but that may be the British in me. Um, you, you know, I mean, we're a little bit more formal, perhaps, as, as, a, as a people, a race, etc. You know, I, I like it. And I, I, I love, um, I love, you know, a team that dresses smartly and represents a brand that way. Um, as well, I think you can feel you can feel proud. And I, you know, when you've heard me say things, uh, on stages, it's it's because you know travel advisors are their own brand, aren't they? And it, and it, it speaks to the what's sometimes called the eye brand. And you know, if people sort of visually see somebody a little sloppy, it can translate that, that they may not even tell you what they're thinking, but they may think, well, if you're a little sloppy dressed, maybe your work's a little sloppy, or maybe you won't look after me to the level that I will want you to look after me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it can have a lot of negative connotations, which actually aren't factually true. It's just because somebody dresses 
casually viewed by some as maybe a little sloppy doesn't mean that that actually rolls through into their work ethic or anything else but you know it's that visual language that people have to un 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 understand and um you know i think it's easy to throw on a nice jacket yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean i i'm i i think i'm on my own little journey with that like i've just moved to a new neighborhood here in new york and it's a very trendy neighborhood so every time i leave my apartment it seems you know it seems like there's something else i need to learn about or something you got pressure on you yeah there's more pressure on me uh i feel like than ever before just trying to look trendy while looking casual like it seems yeah. to be two different yeah. directions but be, 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 be careful, Dan. It can burn a hole in your wallet as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, but uh, that sounds great. That sounds great that you've moved to a new location. Yeah. Terrific. Congrats. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? How during the pandemic, still major, major things have happened. You know, you've, you've moved your home, um, as many people have done. I mean, some have moved cities and, you know, moved hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. You know, like I did that and, and some have got new jobs, which, you know, again, if, if you'd have said to me, you're going to have a new, new, wonderful, amazing position during the pandemic, I'd have probably said, oh, I'm not so sure, Dan, actually, you know, I think we're sort of on on hiatus for sort of moving around or something. But no, it's amazing what's actually what positivity has happened as well as sadly some negativity as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I I you were one of the last pe like industry people I saw face to face before the pandemic. I saw in you January, in January January of 2020. <laughs> yeah, we at were, the Valerie, we were Wilson. at Valerie Wilson's conference and I was keynote speaking actually and yes, I do remember we had a very nice chat in the lobby there because we've known each other for quite a while. Uh yes, I do remember. <laughs> And I remember you were, if, if my memory serves correctly, you were headed to Japan and you were the, you were one of the first people I've heard mention. You said there's this virus going around and you were a bit worried about your trip. And I never checked up on you if you actually made that trip. Good question. <laughs> the answer is no. Yeah. Actually, what I made was a lot of early mornings into the emergency response center in Seattle for a multitude of days. And yes, I think uh, that was, it was like the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th of January, something like, something like those, those dates. And we were already seeing the seaborne ovation was sailing in Asia. And we had already started to see, you know, some, some issues and actually I think she was turned away probably the following week from a port in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, the house of cards started to, uh, to, to tumble. So my, my, my international trip uh, did get canceled, actually. You're right, you had a very good memory. I was going to head to Tokyo, phase of expanding our global sales organization and actually onboarding some new team members in Asia. And we were having that meeting in Tokyo and uh, it, it, it did all get, uh, get paused uh, or stopped. Yeah, you meant you mentioned that you were you spent a lot of mornings in the emergency room in Seattle. Is that it did was there was it you? Was it your partner? Was it was something? Oh, no, sorry, our sorry, Dan, our oh. emergency response oh. center. So okay. not me personally. My fault. Yeah. Um, it's it's the it's the it's the the centers that you are monitoring all of your ships and you can react Im immediately. You can actually you see you know you know exactly where they are, where they're operating. You can actually visually see the ships. You can actually visually even go, you know, into a specific space of a, of, of a ship. You're, you're in complete contact with the captain and obviously all the officers and you're supporting them uh, from 
home base so to speak you know okay. so yeah so i was you know i was lucky actually i mean during the pandemic we took uh, we took our precautions and you know you don't really i mean maybe i maybe i caught covid at some point i don't know but uh here i am fully vaccinated with pfizer's vaccine and uh we we uh, fingers crossed that we can all pull through this for great positivity yeah yeah, there there seems to be a lot of momentum now too. I'm I have I got the Moderna, so I'm I'm on your I'm on the same uh, track you are. But it, there seems to be a lot of momentum too, and there right now for the travel industry, and there seems to be a lot of momentum in particular for the luxury space. It seems to be that's for the people who want to spend money now, or the people yeah. who feel comfortable spending money seem to be, and the people who have missed out on these big trips that they've planned their futures around. Um, seem very anxious to get back on the road, and I'm curious now because Explora is a luxury brand. Is that what is that what you're seeing? Is that what you're hearing from from friends or from colleagues? Oh, definitely yes. And you know, I think over the last uh, four months, Dan, I probably had over a hundred virtual meetings with travel partners, owners, leaders, actually all under NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, etc. And we talk about business, and of course, they are they are all seeing that that release of pent up demand. But it's not necessarily travel isn't going to immediately look exactly as it did in 2019 where i think you know 2019 if you wanted to fly you know 4000 miles go to beaches in europe or visit cultural cities you, i mean obviously you just did it yes i mean it, you, you didn't have any barriers but i think now <clears throat> the you know there the, there is a focus on closer to home people's comfort factors are going to vary but i think the common denominator is people want to get back to travel because it is a birth-given right. It is incredibly rewarding. You can reconnect with yourself and with others. You know, it, it is inspiring. It is the driver of experiences uh, that create lasting memories. You know, and it's far, far, far more rewarding than sort of just buying a material good. Although good, I think there's been a lot of that as well. I think maybe people have got brand new, better TVs and you know, new sound bars that they weren't going to have before because they've said, "Oh, I'll spend, I'll spend another five hundred dollars on my Sonar sound bar, or, or buying a nice new car or something." But yes, I think the the the, the release of pent up demand is is certainly going to happen. But I think the 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 mix of travel initially will look a little different. You know, with the closer to home, and that's not a bad thing because discovering our backyards. Uh, I mean, the countries we live in are beautiful. Yes, and. Many people don't actually know their, as I call it, the backyard, whether that's uh, taking the car and driving, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 miles or flying across the country um, or just into an international country. But, but, but there's a shorter flight. Um, I think that, that uh, element of discovery of what's closer to home is actually a, a beautiful thing. Nothing, nothing wrong with it. And those pioneers who want to... Uh, lead the charge to be heading further afield, then again, fantastic. You know, Alex and myself, Dan, I'm um, not sure if we shared, but uh, it was July, 2020, middle of the pandemic. And we were just, you know, we'd been working from home, you could say caged up, boxed up, not really seeing people, doing everything that, you know, you're hearing you should be doing. I mean, even initially, you know, wiping, wiping uh, bags of shopping down, which now, now seems to like, really, really, we did that. But Alex and I took a long, long weekend, a uh, four or five night break, and we went down to the uh, Belmont in, uh, in Santa Barbara. 
you know, and, and we chose that, you know, with purpose because uh, basically it's a beautiful resort, but you're sort of, it's full of fresh air, all your dining is outside, you know, you're in a beautiful casita and, and you felt a level of safety. But I, I was pleased I did it not only to um, recharge and, and change the scene, but I think, again, if, if you're in the travel industry, you need to be able to say to people, yes, I've, I've, I've traveled safely and you can do it safely. Yeah, you're. I think you're right. I mean, it, I've heard this from a lot of people I've spoken to. I Jennifer Wilson is one of my favorite contacts in travel, and early, she's she spoke about how when travel shut down, she made a list of all the countries she's been to and all the states she's been to, and she even said that she. I don't think she's hit the fifty states yet, and she's good. She said she's going to make a concerted effort to be able to say she's been to every single state, and she's. Yeah sort yes. of the big attractions in every single state. And I, and I got to thinking, and I don't think I've been to half the states in the US. I mean, I've been to Europe and to a lot of different places in Europe, and I still haven't seen sort of what's in my own backyard. And I think, like, like you said, there's probably an important thing to be able to do. Um, yes. An important thing I should put on my bucket list. No, I, 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 I think so too. And I think, you know, whether we do it this year, next year, or in five years, you know, I think it's just now given us a new sense of purpose to yeah to, to know the country that we live in and i think yeah. that's very similar you know if you're french then you know you're discovering france and you know your backyard there so to speak and i think every country has beauty and it's got something to uh, to give to to all of us and it's eye-opening it's rewarding and uh, it's inspiring just as taking a long you know much longer haul trip but it's going to be a nice balance i mean um we clearly are seeing, uh, you know, travel advisors I know have been very busy. Greece has been very popular because, of course, Greece has done a, a very good job of, of, of promoting safe travel. It also, you know, have, you very much have that sense again of, of um, you know, the resorts being very, you know, very open in, you know, sort of it's an outdoor lifestyle, isn't it? Really, when you go to somewhere like Greece on, on vacation. And I, and I know advisors have been busy certainly some actually i was talking to an advisor yesterday who said dan that um some of his top top affluents are already booking thanksgiving or even christmas and new year and he said that's very different it's unusual they've never done that they've always been more spontaneous and i said to him well do you think it's because people need some something to look forward to and they also are reacting to what they're hearing like there is big demand so if you sit around you might not get, you might have an awful lot of money, but you may not get the top suite because somebody else has already got it. Yep. And, and I tell you, you know, when I was a kid, we used to plan our holidays every Boxing Day. You know, you don't know what Boxing Day is? It's the is it 26th the, of December. Yeah, the day after Christmas. I know that because the, the English Premier League does a lot of games on Boxing Day. It's like a tradition. <laughs> yes. And I would always watch it with my father. We would watch it every year. Chelsea and Man U or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big day. But my mother would collect all the tour operator brochures. And we would sit there eating Christmas Day leftovers. And then in the afternoon, you know, flipping through the brochures. And the travel agencies must have hated her because she, she used to get sort of two or three of the same brochures so we could be all looking at the same time. But we'd mark pages where we wanted to go. I mean, talk about a family experience, yes. And we'd do that for a couple of hours, et cetera, and she'd make a cup of tea. And then she'd say, okay, so let's see, where do you, where, you know, my sister was always first because she was older. Where do you want to go? And then she'd say to me, where do you want to go? And then to my father and then, of course, her. 
and literally, I mean, it was like a science. It was like driven by science, you know. Uh, <laughs> she, she, we'd find out if we also had, had, you know, voted for the same destination because obviously that went higher up the list then. Um, and but we, we basically by evening time had decided where we were going to go on our summer holiday. So again, birth, British people, birth given right, you must take a holiday. And then on the twenty seventh of December because there's, there's no shops open, obviously, on a, uh, on a uh, uh, you know, the day after Christmas. It's, it's a two-day holiday. So on the 27th of December, I always wanted to go with my mother to the travel agency. And we'd sit there. I can remember it's called Carrick Travel uh, in the town of Kenilworth. They may still be there. Who knows? And we would book our summer holiday, our 14-night summer holiday, right then and there. And so that was, you know, seven to eight months of lead time. And my goodness, it was so exciting. And then you had, we looked forward to it. I used to, I actually used to count, I think the weeks down almost because whether we were, and you know, those, those days we were off to Spain or parts of Europe, but it was so exciting because I, it was international travel. It's probably one of the reasons I'm actually in this industry. I had my, I had my fourth birthday in the island of Mallorca. And so my parents were incredibly motivated with travel. They had their honeymoon in uh, Switzerland, actually, ironically, in uh, Grindelwald and Lake Garda. They did a two-center holiday. And they got married in the late, uh, in the late uh, 50s, early 60s. And, you know, again, it, I mean, not everybody was going internationally to take honeymoons uh, in those days. So, no, I think I was very privileged. And I think the travel bug got into me at a very early early age then as well the the biggest part of your career and correct me if i'm wrong you spent you spent almost 30 years at starwood um yes. and then you made the transition over to the, the world of cruising ocean resorts ocean ocean resorts <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I i i think you you answered it but i i mean it was always a plan for you to get into the travel industry i mean you, you talked about how you you studied hospitality in bournemouth um and it was always it was always your ambition to do something in travel is that right well i mean i think i think my early travel when i was celebrating my fourth birthday in Mallorca and then subsequently every year internationally certainly planted the travel bug but um, I'll tell you quickly a little story. You know, my dad gave me pocket money and it was you know, pretty common in the UK, you know, 50 pence or something. Yeah. And, you know, you'd buy yourself your Mars bars with that and, you'd, you know, your snacks and whatever else. Huh? So I turned, I became a teenager. So I went to, to my dad, you know, my handout and said, you know, can I have my pocket money? He said, no. He said, you're a teenager now, son. So you've got to go out and earn your money. I was like, but I'm only 13, you know? And he said, come with me. He took me into the garage. And he had it all set up. He had a bucket, a sponge, a chamois, and some, you know, soap. And he said, go and wash cars. And I was like, what, now? And he goes, no, after lunch, after Sunday lunch, go and wash cars. And so I was, I think I was annoyed. I was like, God, I didn't get my pocket money. He wants me to go. So I was annoyed. So I put all my energy into this. And I went out and washed cars. And actually, I got I earned more money washing those cars on that Sunday afternoon than my pocket money. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. So I did it for about uh, a year and a half. I actually, <laughs> I recruited a friend to join me thinking, well, we can wash more cars if there's two of us. And I kept 60% of the money and gave 40% <laughs> to him. <laughs> Terrible, yeah. isn't it? I'm a, generally, Dan, I'm a good friend, but you know, when money comes in, then, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> the upside. Huh? Anyway, so when I was then uh, 15 in the UK, you can actually 
be a bar back. You can wash glasses, you know, and all of that in a bar. So I went to the Four Star, which was the best hotel in Kenilworth, and I inquired if I could, you know, if they had a job as a, as a bar back. And they said, yes, we do, actually. But, you know, when can you start? I said, well, Saturday. So I started to wash glasses and earn money there in the four-star hotel in the town. When I became 16, uh, you can actually work in a bar and you can pull pints and you can serve drinks, etc. And so I did that because I was, you know, I was moved from the bar back into the front of the bar. And then, of course, I was earning tips. And I was like, this is good. You know, people would say, Chris, have a drink. And I'd say, well, not now. I'll have it later. You know, and they go, okay, yeah, put, you know, put a pound, a quid in the, in the jar type of thing. And I'd be, you know, making great tips. But the bug, I think, the hospitality industry sort of got into me then. Okay. And having an older sister, Dan, she'd actually gone to university to, 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 and she did a degree in thinking in English. And when she finished, her and many of her uh, colleagues, friends, couldn't really get jobs because they had a, I guess what I would call a pure degree. And so she had to do a second degree in education and she still this, to this day still is a teacher and i saw that and i thought well how stupid doing a degree that basically doesn't get you a job yeah. yeah i mean you might be in love with english the english language and everything but i mean there i am the sort of the, the younger brother thinking my older sister was uh, you know a bit silly and i said to myself i need to do a degree that gives me a job that pushes me into a job and i think a vocational degree yeah Although with, with my story about beaches and my selection of university, maybe it was a vacational job yeah, <laughs> I was looking for. Yeah. yeah, but no, so you know, I did. I mean, I, I got the I got the travel bug. I graduated. You know, got my I got my A levels, and I applied to universities to do a hospitality degree. And if you do that, you are pushing yourself absolutely into into the fabulous world of uh, hospitality travel. So that's my little story, actually, of really why why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, you had a you had the I've heard so many people's stories about how they got into the industry. And it, it just it's the differences and the variety you get just speaking to people within the industry is, is just I think what makes part of travel so special and so incredible is that um, you're here, you're getting all these different perspectives from people all around the world who have different paths and different backgrounds. And uh, you get to deal with them on a daily basis. And I think it's something that it's a it's almost it's one of the biggest privileges, I think, of being in this industry. I completely, I completely agree. There's a, you know, the industry is driven by amazing people and great talent. And that's why I say, you know, every, every brand needs to be successful. Every hotel brand, every new entrance. I think the, the world is a big place and there's plenty of business for all of us. You just have to um, connect, make sure your brand connects and has purpose, uh, you know, and be guest centric for your, uh, you know, to attract your share of, of the right the right guests at the end of the day but i think your days are your days are fulfilling because of the people you work with the teams that you create around you you know and i've always been a massive proponent dan as well that you you know you create strong teams you you don't hire weaker people than you you hire people who potentially could have your job uh in the, in the future you know who have a passion who have a commitment who have energy but that's again i used the word previously contagious and you get a you develop a strong culture that way and uh in the end you get it done you know you have fun you get it done and uh it's uh makes for a very rewarding you know work day yeah 
Yeah, and I again, I, I mentioned all the people a part of the MSC team, and uh, it is a very special team from 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 who I've interacted with, and uh, I yeah, I mean, it's I'm sure the level of excitement on the team is just uh, is very high for you and and for your colleagues right now. So again, a belated congratulations on the new position, and thank you so much for taking these uh, these forty minutes or so to talk to me today and tell me all tell me all the stories. No, Dan, it's great. It's great to see you again. And uh, I'll just wrap by saying it is a very special team because MSC is a family and it's a, you know, it's a privately held company headquartered in Switzerland and uh, they look after their family and they look after their guests as a family as well. And I think uh, it's, uh, it's amazing to uh, have seen what uh, the MSC group has done and uh, hats off to them. And of course, I'm so proud to join the existing family members, as you say, you know, Ken, Michelle, Ruben, and the entire team there. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have great fun and give all of our travel advisor partners another amazing luxury lifestyle differentiated opportunity for their clients. So uh, it's good times ahead. Yeah. And uh, again, I hope uh, when I'm, whenever I'm down in Miami, which I imagine will be very, fairly soon, I'll give you a shout and uh, we will see each other in person. Yeah. Yes, that would be good. That'd be good. I think We've got, we've got to get into the era of uh, the hugging era, you know, yeah. where we actually now, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we start that chapter, the hugging chapter, the hugging era. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that's gonna that's gonna be coming very very soon too. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Good. Chris, th- well, take care. Thank you so much for uh, for the time today, and I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'll I'll see you soon, I guess. See you soon. Exactly. Right. Stay well and uh, continue success, Dana. All right. Thank you for thank you so much. Thanks.